You are listening to the Mission Matters Podcast Network, where we amplify the stories of entrepreneurs, executives, and experts. Welcome. I hope you're having a spectacular day. You are listening to Provisions and Libations, and I am your host, Robin Bogue, on the Mission Matters Podcast. And today's topic is family traditions. And we're talking about an annual gearing sushi and ribs tree trimming party. Today's special guest is Ray Ehrenstorff. Ray, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Robin. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. I'm glad that I'm so excited about the show. You were my first interview, and I'm excited to hear about this as this is something that I have attended in the past, and I had a great time, and I'm grateful for us to be able to share it with the world so that they can hear all about it. So let's begin with talking about how did this party get started and when? Well, there's a little bit of a controversy on when it actually started. Some people think it started in 95 and some people think it started in 96. So it's either 26 or 27 years old. That's a long time. Yes, it did. It, it, it had very humble beginnings. At the time, I was either engaged or just married to my wife. And it was uh, right after Thanksgiving, and we were decorating for the Christmas holiday. And so my parents-in-law, Jack and Mary Kay Gearing, they had the girls home from college and us in the house after the Thanksgiving holiday. And as they were, you know, garlanding and putting up decorations, Mary Kay, my mother-in-law, was making ribs. But uh, Jack, her husband, was an avid fisherman. And he had just come home the day before with some bluefin tuna. Oh, yeah. And so we thought, oh, wouldn't it be awesome to take some of that bluefin tuna and sear it and then eat it seared, which is mostly raw with just <laughs> that little bit of a sear on it. And my mother-in-law was a little bit trepidatious about that, but... I think we did an outstanding job and everybody actually loved it. And they're all, oh my gosh, this is like eating sushi. And then my mother-in-law thought that was hysterical that we sat down at a table eating sushi and ribs and how dichotomous that idea was. Especially Thanksgiving weekend. <laughs> yes, Thanksgiving weekend. And so my mother-in-law is one of those people who... Uh, traditions for her have always been interesting because something that happens for the very first time can be a tradition for her. And I, I and for a long time, it rubbed me wrong because I always thought to myself, tradition, it just happened. This isn't a tradition we have. It's a, how do you have a tradition of one? But as I've grown older, I've, I've seen the wisdom in my mother-in-law. And I, I think the reason that I see that wisdom is because she gets to choose a tradition mm -hmm. and choose how quality the place, the event, and the people are. Mm -hmm. And she sees that from the beginning and what the potential is and decides, yes, this first time is the start of a whole brand new tradition. So Sushi and Ribs had a very humble tradition with just seared ahi and ribs. That sounds amazing. And it sounds like it was a perfect tradition being that it's 26 or 27 years yep. going. Yeah, that's amazing that I love it. How do you prepare? So with the sushi and the ribs that you do that with your brother, Ryan, how do you prepare for 
the sushi making. Tell me the process that goes through all of that. Well, I think, as I said, over let's let's say 27 years. Okay. Over the 27 years that we've done this, we just keep adding to the tradition, adding to the process, at least from our side of it, which is the sushi side. Mm-hmm. So my, my whole family loves to eat sushi and my wife's family, they were all avid fishermen. And so they love seafood. So getting us, any of us to eat seafood wasn't hard. You didn't have to mm-hmm. twist anybody's arm. And so we spent, my brother and I, as you mentioned, he often helps me with sushi and ribs. We like to spend a lot of time doing what we call field work. <laughs> so we sit up at the sushi counter and watch the sushi asan, the, the, the chef behind the counter, making sushi. And so it's one of those things where as we would watch him, you know, show his art to us, all we could do is humbly imitate it. And so when we found something that we thought, ah, boy, this is a great dish. We want to add this in. We'd watch how it was made and then we would simply imitate it and do our best to, you know, provide that new dish to each year's sushi and ribs. And so it's it's gotten a varied menu over the years. So that sounds like product research. That's product research at its finest. And it sounds like that should be a business so that you can write it off. Ah, well, I'll tell you what, anybody who's in the the food business, anybody who's in the restaurant business, I give you credit. I love to come to your business, but I wouldn't want to run your business. I like my holidays and I like my weekends. Yeah, I hear you on that. What is your favorite menu item that you've made over the years or your favorite memory of doing the sushi and ribs? Oh my gosh, there's so many memories. If you're asking me what one of my favorite dishes is that I make, it's probably a spicy scallop a spicy baked scallop roll. And so to make that roll, it's basically a a California roll that is put on its side. And then you put in the toaster oven some aluminum foil with a mixture on top of it of cut up scallops, scallions, masago, which is a, a kind of fish roe and a mixture of soy sauce, kewpie, mayo, and sriracha. Yum. Yeah. The kewpie mayo is the best. That's a Japanese type of mayonnaise. It's made with, well, all mayonnaise is made with eggs. (laughs) But uh, this is just a richer and cleaner mayonnaise that doesn't have all the extra chemicals in it. It's very nice. It sounds very high-end and delicate. Mm -hmm. So that that, that gets put into the uh, toaster oven. And you put a little bit of a, you know, a little color on it and heat it up. And then when it comes out of the oven, that is carefully poured over the top of that California roll. And then you drizzle over the top of that some sriracha mayo and some eel sauce, which is a very, that's kind of a sweet brown sauce that you'll find in a lot of sushi dishes that people really like. Yum. That sounds delicious. Mm -hmm. That sounds like dinner time. So now that we've talked about that, tell me a little bit about the ribs. Who's making the ribs on the machine ribs? It's my mother-in-law's job to make the ribs. Okay. And as this tradition developed over the years, let's face it. We all have those friends that don't like raw fish Mm -hmm. and or don't like sushi, which a lot of sushi, I tell people, doesn't have to be raw. There's quite a bit of sushi that you can have that's cooked. But they hear sushi 
they think raw fish and they think, oh, that's not for me. And so my mother-in-law makes ribs for them. So she usually puts those on the grill. And then once they have like a, a nice sear on them, then she'll put them in the oven for a number of hours until they get nice and, you know, fall off the bone. And then she adds barbecue sauce and people love the ribs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you could go wrong with either one. Nope. Okay. So now that we've talked about the food portion, let's mm-hmm. talk about the drink portion because it's provisions and libations. And this segment is called I'll drink to that. What are you serving as a drink to go with your sushi? Well, it's the interesting thing about this tradition is, is that it's uh, it's kind of an open house and tree trimming party. And we didn't really talk about that too much, but because there's that element, of course, there's functionally an open bar. There's multiple types of hard alcohol for mixed drinks, and there's beer and there's wine. But my side of things, uh, which is the sushi side. And in the kitchen. And in and being in the kitchen. Yes, this is, this is an event that I don't really attend as a guest. I'm there as a worker bee the entire time. I'd say that the drink of the night for me is the sake bomb. <laughs> And that's one of those funny traditions, whereas the evening wears on and people get a little bit into their cups, you'll, lots of the people have already gone home. A lot of the, the general party has moved on and the, the family and the friends that are just those diehard, they stick in until somebody makes them leave, uh, end up in the kitchen around the area where we're actually making sushi And we'll get some glasses and we'll get Sapporo beer, which is a Japanese beer. And we'll pour Sapporo into a glass and then we'll get some sake. And we're not, you know, we're not having high-end sake there, but we usually have a Hakutsuru big bottle and we pour a bunch of little sake glasses. I probably have like 30 individual sake cups that I've collected over the years for this party and we pour them all out and then we have glasses of Sapporo beer and we take our chopsticks and we put it on top of the cup or glass of beer. And then you balance the little sake cup on top of that. And then everybody will chant in unison. When I say sake, you say bomb and we'll start <laughs> during the course of this, this, uh, this beating on the table You get a little bit of vibration, which causes the chopsticks to move a little bit. And next thing you know, that glass of sake has dropped into your beer. And then it's kampai, which in Japanese means bottoms up. And we (laughs) drink down our sake bomb. Oh, that sounds so much fun. I love it. That sounds like a party that all would want to go to. Are there any other things that you serve during the night? It's an open house. So... There's a lot of people that bring different different things to the house. Of course, there's desserts there. Of course, there's other menu items there. But in terms of the, the, the sushi side of things, over the years, we've just kept adding to the menu. Like I said, we started off that first one with just seared ahi, which you could argue if that's sushi or not, because, but that was the starting point. And then, of course, we had to learn how to make a California roll. So we learned how to make a California roll. And then we always had yellowfin tuna or bluefin tuna from my father-in-law. Like I said, it was a fisherman. So we would turn that into sashimi. And then we'd also, you know, so when we take the heart 
of the of the fillet out or the heart of the steak out to make sashimi, that would leave behind some fish that we could use a spoon to kind of render down some in between some of the connective tissue. And we'd get with a you know a big pile of tuna pieces. And we'd put that in a bowl and we'd make spicy tuna mix. Mm-hmm. And so then we made spicy tuna roll. And then of course, you know, you got to have avocado for a California roll. So there's so many rolls that avocado ends up in. And so the next roll that we thought was outstanding was we loved a caterpillar roll or some people like something that's similar called a dragon roll. Mm -hmm. And and that roll typically has cooked eel. So here's one of those dishes that, you know, there's nothing raw in it. So it's cooked eel and that eel has a special like a sauce on it. That's that sweet, very sweet not unlike teriyaki sauce, but probably sweeter than teriyaki sauce. And it'll have that inside the body of the roll. And then it's com- the roll's completely covered with avocado and then drizzled over the top is that eel sauce. Mm-hmm. So we started making those and those were always a big hit. And then, of course, we started getting, we made friends, of course, with the local sushi restaurant and we made friends with the owner. And so what we would do is for other kinds of fish, we actually would have them provide us with the, the unfinished fish. So we'd, we'd order, you know, a pound of this, two pounds of that, a pound of this, and it would come up from the Japanese fish market and we'd pick it up on the weekend and take it to our sushi and ribs party where we would actually do the cutting and the trimming and and getting it ready to process and so, oh God, we made rainbow roll, which is for people that don't know what rainbow roll is. It's multiple different types of fish and different fish. The flesh on the fish has different colors. Oh, wow. So when you stack different colors of fish and then avocado onto a roll, it makes a beautiful roll. So we did rainbow roll. And then of course we would do all kinds of nigiri sushi and nigiri means, ni means two and giri means cuts. So when you typically go to a sushi restaurant and you ask for like, you know, let's say some hamachi, which is yellowtail, hamachi sushi, they'll give you nigiri, which means two pieces of fish that are laid on top of a little, almost like a, a little cake or pellet of rice that they've, you know, hand compressed. And so we started doing nigiri sushi. And so on a typical sushi and ribs night, we will have, of course, tuna. We will have yellowtail. We'll have seared albacore. We'll have salmon. Then we'll have shrimp. We'll have scallops there, like I mentioned. We'll have a fish that you won't find in some traditional, like true Japanese restaurants, because it's not a fish that's found in Japan. A lot of Japanese restaurants, you may have not noticed this, but uh, Koreans have actually started to own a lot of Japanese restaurants. They come over and they take over a Japanese restaurant or start one, and they're open to other ideas. They're not quite as traditional. So one of the fishes that is an outstanding fish raw in like Mexican waters, it's called Wahoo. And in Pacific waters, like in the Hawaiian Islands, it's called Ono. You'll sometimes hear it called Escolar as well. And it is a nice, dense, white, super sweet fish that if people, a lot of people love yellowtail, I like it better than yellowtail. Mm -hmm. So we usually have 
Ono as well. And that, uh, you know, it, it makes for a great evening and, uh, and a lot of opportunities to go in different directions with different fish, different roles, whether the rice is on the inside, the seaweeds on the outside, whether we use soy paper, which if some people don't like the seaweed paper, the soy paper is a nice alternative for them. So, I mean, all of this stuff sounds super complicated, but you got to remember if you just added one thing over 27 years, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you've got a big repertoire and we have a, a good time. Yep. So the technique of making so- making the rolls, mm-hmm. there's, how did you learn that technique? Because it's <laughs> not easy that I've sat at a sushi bar and watched people and seen their work fall apart mm-hmm. and then scoop it up and toss it or pull it into their little bin and start over. How do you get it to work every time? Well, like I mentioned, a lot of field work. Mm-hmm. Field work is how we figured out how to do the process, but then there's nothing like experience. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot of practice. And guess what? Those rolls that aren't pretty, they still taste quite as good. So So there was a lot of rolls that maybe weren't as pretty as they would should have been at first Mm -hmm. that still got eaten. However, you know, as you get experience doing things, and like I said, not only has this been, we've been doing this for 27 years, but I've actually done a couple of sushi restaurants, excuse me, sushi parties for different charities where I've come in and said, okay, well, I'll donate a party for eight people and I'll, I'll create sushi at their house. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's just a matter of practice, practice, yes. practice, practice. And practice makes perfect. That's right. Yep. Actually, my one thing I like to tell people is, is that once you get good, it's not good enough to be just so-so. Yeah, everything has to be good. So I tell people, it's not really that practice makes perfect. It's that perfect practice makes perfect. Oh. But you got to go through the practice to get to the perfect practice part. Very nice. That is awesome. Mm-hmm. So now that we've talked about this on the radio, all of your guests and all of your family are going to mm-hmm. hear this and hopefully they're going to listen to it. What is your inspiration to outdo anything you've done for your 28th year? Like, does this elevate the bar for you or are you just now going to coast through it? Or what does this mean to you now that you've done this? Well, like I, in talking with you earlier, you asked me, do I already have a plan for next year? And I always say, no, we, we just did this this last weekend because this talk that we're having right now is taking place on the Wednesday after Thanksgiving. So I'm coasting on the glow of the party. (laughs) I don't think about the next party for a while. What I do though is, is that I'm, I, I probably have sushi for lunch at least once a week. Oh, wow. And so I'm always looking at new roles and, or I'll find a role when I go to lunch with people and they'll have something different and I'll be like, oh, what are you having there? Mm-hmm. And I'll taste it and I'll go, ah, not for me or, oh yeah, that's all right. And then or I'll go, oh, wow, I like that. I'm going to try that when I come back next time. Mm-hmm. And so uh, usually during the year, I'll find some role that has inspired me to, to try and recreate it. Or I'll have a lot of times what happens is, is that once we have a role that we've been inspired to create, and now we have all the pieces for at the end of the night, as different fish has run out, as different ingredients have run out, people come up and they're like, oh, well, I want something 
different or I want something crazy. Give me something you've never made before. And so you just got to get creative and make something new. So either I try to just add maybe one new thing each year and then always be open to experimenting with what you have at the night of the party. Yeah. That sounds like a wonderful party. It's a, it's a, it's a great event. It really is. Well, and your family's lovely that I'm, I'm very grateful to know all of you. And I think that it's a great, a great tradition. And I feel like so many people can learn from it and that Mm -hmm. they should want to do that, that, and I should note that we, you do do this on the Saturday of Thanksgiving weekend. Mm -hmm. Is that, do you do it every Thanksgiving weekend or does it move? We we have done it every year on the Saturday after Thanksgiving, even the years during COVID, although the guest list was much mm-hmm. reduced. But the only exception to that was one year, my son is in college in Hawaii mm-hmm. and we spent Thanksgiving in Hawaii one year with my son. And so obviously we weren't home that Saturday. So sushi and ribs got postponed one week. Oh, but other than that, it's been an ongoing tradition. And I mean, it really is a tradition that is, I mean, I know provisions and libations is the name of the show. And we've talked about the food and the drink, but one of the, you also mentioned that tradition Mm -hmm. is kind of the theme of this show. And I'll tell you what, This is one of those events, too, where there's so many different elements to the tradition of this event that it does make it such a rich event. It happens after Thanksgiving. And so, as I mentioned, the very first time we had it, my parents, my parents-in-law were decorating their house for Christmas because let's face it. It's after Thanksgiving. It's time to move on to the next season. And that season is Christmas. My parents had the luxury of always having a beautiful home, a fairly large home. And my mother-in-law loved a big tree and they had the roof line for it. So the tree that they typically put up was always like a 10 foot tree. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of tree to decorate. And so as time went on, as new people got added to the family and or as grandkids got added to the family. My mother-in-law was always big about bringing people to the house for this kind of housewarming, but really for her, it became a tree trimming party Mm -hmm. because all of the sudden she's looking at this big tree going, Oh my God, how am I going to decorate this giant tree? And so she's all, well, I'm just going to throw this party sushi and ribs that I throw anyway, but now I'm going to make everybody who comes to the party put at least three or four ornaments on the tree. Great idea. So she'd have a huge table set up with ornaments. And as people came in, they got to go over to the tree. And of course, there's probably people that didn't put any ornaments on the tree. And then there's those people that got started on a task and probably put 20 ornaments on a Mm -hmm. tree. But most people came in and did their part and put ornaments on the tree. So that's the tree trimming portion of the uh, tradition. And then at the end of the night, another fun tradition was as my mother-in-law gained grandchildren. And right now she's got five. And of course, they're all different ages. But as they're coming up, the thing that each grandchild got to do was put the angel on top of the tree. And it goes in a rotating order. And so... Each child gets a year. 
And we keep track of who did it each and every year so we know which child is going to do it the next year. Are they in age? age in age, order? in age order. Okay. Absolutely. And so my mother-in-law, who learned, of course, at the feet of her mom, are my grandmother or grandmother-in-law, Peggy Peterson. She was always one when there was a crowd about, she had something to say to that crowd. Okay. It was usually a message about how to be a better citizen how to be a better Christian, to remember what this party was all about. So it was always a positive message, but it was a message that, you know, people don't always hear at a cocktail party. It's usually pretty light. Mm -hmm. And she always made sure they heard a little bit of a message as well. And so when my my wife's grandmother, Peggy, passed away, my mother-in-law, Mary Kay, took it upon herself to do that. And so Literally, once the angel goes on the tree, the lights in the whole house get turned out and uh, she talks to people by candlelight about why it is we're here. Not just for sushi, not just for ribs, not just to help her decorate a tree, but it's the start of the Christmas season. What are we celebrating? The birth of Christ. Make sure everybody remembers that that's what the Christmas season's about. And then she points her finger and somebody turns the light on and the lights for the tree come on and then everybody sings silent night. Mm -hmm. And so it really is. It's a, and everybody, you get a room full of people and we've had anywhere from 30 to 80 people at these events. Uh, Everybody's, you know, no shame in their game about singing silent night. And it does, it makes it a special thing. And so, you know, once that's done, we go back to the libations and the provisions, <laughs> but uh, it, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a full and rich night. Yes. It's beautiful. As I've attended a couple of times in the past and I, I loved everything about it that yeah. in the tradition of building and it's evolving and it's yes. continually evolving because eventually there'll be great grandchildren, great grandchildren and all of that. So that you have a lovely family and I'm very grateful that you came in and talked to me today and that you shared your story and that you're sharing your photographs of the, of the event for people to see. And so thank you very much for taking the time to spend with me. My pleasure, Robin. All you had to do was ask. Yep. That be careful what you ask for. Cause <laughs> I also know that you're very well, big into oysters and that could be another show in a couple well, months. <laughs> here's one thing I've learned as I've aged. I know how to say no. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to say no to oysters? Cause I know you well, know how to do oysters. Uh, there are a couple of oyster parties that have already been sold. They're on the books. And like, we try not to have too many things that are on the books hanging over our heads. Mm-hmm. So yes, we're, we're like, we, we try to limit what we do. Yes. Oh, sounds good. Well, if you've enjoyed today's episode, please follow Provisions and Libations wherever you listen to podcasts. I will be back next week with an all new episode. I am your host, Robin Bogue. You can learn about me on my website, eatdrinkandbemerry.online or my LinkedIn profile, Robin Bogue. I look forward to entertaining you, informing you, and enlightening you with the perfect accommodations for connoisseurs of provisions and libations with an Epicurean flair. But first, let's eat and drink. This has been a Mission Matters Network production. Listen to this show and browse our entire catalog by visiting missionmatters.com.